Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, last week was a very special Sunday. Um, it was wonderful worshiping with Clayton and, and Mac. Uh, this Sunday is also a special Sunday for a little bit di- of a different reason. Um, usually the first or second Sunday of November, churches across the nation come together, so to speak, um, to share about a reality that isn't great in our world. And it's, it's the, the reality or, of orphanhood of children in our world who have either lost parents or have been neglected in a way by parents so that they don't have a loving and a caring adult in their life. Um, And they call it Orphan Sunday. And so uh, this Sunday in the United States and church life in the United States is Orphan Sunday. And uh, Don uh, asked me to speak last last year on this Sunday and again this year on this Sunday to, um, as a church, as a family of believers to um, just recognize this reality and to, to talk a little bit about it, um, to learn a little bit about it and to ask the question, what can we do? And I think it's, it's a reality, it's a, a hardship in our world that God has called the church to be actively involved in. Uh, It says in scripture from beginning to end, from Old Testament and new, that God is a father to the fatherless and that God has a heart for the orphan and the widow, that God has a special place in his heart for the vulnerable and the disadvantaged in our world. And I think there's probably no more disadvantaged and vulnerable people in our world than the orphan and the unborn. And so as a church, we have a responsibility. We have a calling from God as followers of Jesus to be actively involved in eradicating the problem, even if it's just for one or a multitude of orphans, of disadvantaged children, of the vulnerable who have no adults in their lives to show them the love of Jesus, to show them the grace of God. And so this morning, um, I'm coming to you to share a little bit about that. I wanna give you a few statistics as we start out. And then I wanna share from scripture, a story of adoption, a story of an orphan who went from forgotten, falling through the cracks, to a place in a family where he ate at the king's table. And the idea with this is that you can see a picture of what a difference it made in the life of this one man that we're gonna share about. And that maybe it'll spur us on to do similar things in our lives. Because I think every age has, a, has the ability to take part, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult or a, uh, a parents of kids in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whether you're grandparents, there is at least one thing that you can do to take part in, in God's desire for the church to care for the orphan and the disadvantaged child and to um, step into the situation. So a few statistics, and these are... Um, These are pretty mind-blowing to me. They're so big that 
it's hard to, to break down into something that I can actually grasp. Here's the number, 153 million. In the world, there are 153 million orphans. That is 153 children of God made in the image of God, kids who deserve the love and respect and dignity and care of adults who have lost their parents and no longer have that in their life. 153 million. So that's a huge number. Like that's not something I can get my head around. So of course I was watching the, the Carolina play last night, go Cox, and um, noticed the stadium, noticed it was kind of half empty. But anyway, so it got me thinking, how many times would it take the number of orphans in the world to fill up williams Bryce Stadium? williams Bryce Stadium holds, you know, 80,000, give or take, that's a good round number. So I did the math and the number of orphans in the world could fill williams Bryce Stadium 2,000 times. That's amazing. So fill williams Bryce 2,000 times over, and that's the number of children in our world who have no family to care for them. But let's bring it down to a little smaller level, the United States, the number in the United States of children in foster care. So this is just the ones that we have actually, you know, recognized and we see and we're taking steps to care for them, 400,000. So in the United States alone, you could fill williams Bryce Stadium five times over with the number of children who are in the foster care system who don't have their parents involved in a significant way in their life. And then break it, break it down even smaller and you get to South Carolina. In South Carolina, there are over 4,000 kids that are in the foster care system. So 4,000 seems like a much smaller number, but with 4,000 kids in the foster care system, there's only about 2,800 families who provide foster care. And so you can see there's a difference in number of families involved and number of kids. Another fact, another little statistic that someone shared with me right after the second, first service was the number of churches, number of Baptist churches in the state of South Carolina. He said, you know what? There are 2,100 churches in the state of South Carolina with 4,000 foster kids, 2,100 churches in the state of South Carolina. It only would take two families in each church in the state of South Carolina to get rid of the foster care problem that we have where we don't have enough families to care for the foster children that are in our state. I didn't know that. And that was really cool to hear that. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, one of the reasons I love Gateway is we have many more than two families who are involved in foster care and caring for the, the, the vulnerable and the disadvantaged children, which is awesome um, because our church has a heart for this. And so this morning, I wanna um, encourage you guys to, to ask the question, what can I do? What is one thing? And we'll share some different ways you can be involved later on. What can I do? But it's also just a chance to remind ourselves that this is a reality and that we as a church have a responsibility to step into this and do what we can. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna share a story. If you were here last year when we, we had Orphan Sunday, we showed two videos of two different families that are in our congregation of uh, their stories of fostering and adoption and how God called them into that. So this, this year, I thought I'd do something different. I'd pull the story from the Bible. 
an actual story of this happening in Scripture that we can look at and that we can remember and that can, we can remind ourselves of at different times. And we're going to be in 2 Samuel. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 4. Now, if you know anything about 1 and 2 Samuel, if you've read your Bible a lot or grown up in church, you know, basically, 1 and 2 Samuel are the story of two main characters, King Saul and King David, right? And King Solomon comes a little bit later. But we get the story of King Saul and King David. And we're going to look in 2 Samuel. There's this little known character that you may have heard of. If you haven't read 1 and 2 Samuel, you probably have never heard of him. If you haven't, you know, grown up in church much, you may, may have never heard of him before. Is this guy whose name is Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. So we got King Saul, who is the king of Israel. We got his son, Jonathan. And we got Jonathan's son named Mephibosheth. So we need to remember that. So King Saul, he is the king of Israel. Let's do a very, very quick summary of First and Second Samuel. I mean, it's enough to be like a, a Lord of the Rings three to six movie, um, like bio, huge, pick, epic. Like it could be a blockbuster hit of what's going on in these stories because there's war, there's familial tensions, there's fighting for the crown, there's all this stuff going on. So we're going to quickly go through what happens. We've got King Saul, who God anoints as king. He disobeys God. He's unfaithful to what God has called him to do. So God takes that anointing away from Saul and says, Saul, you are not going to be king any longer. My spirit is going to leave you. And God appoints and anoints a new king whose name is David. David, the shepherd boy who, who kills and slays Goliath, right? The, the, the guy we know that plays the harp. And, and so David is anointed as king. And so what happens when God anoints David as king and pulls his anointing away from Saul is that Saul's popularity and, and Saul's um, leadership and his ability to be the king begins to decrease, and the exact opposite happens with David. David's leadership, his popularity, his ability to lead Israel and the military and everything begins to increase. And so in First and Second Samuel, you see the increase of David's popularity and his leadership and right to the throne and the decrease of Saul's. And so, of course, Saul gets jealous. Saul gets mad. Saul wants David dead. Luckily for David, he had befriended Saul's son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David have become best friends. And so Jonathan protects David and cares for David and helps David escape Saul when Saul is trying to kill him until eventually Saul and Jonathan and two other sons of Saul all die in battle against the Philistines. So think about this. Jonathan, David's best friend, dies in the battle. Saul, the king of Israel, dies in the battle. Two other sons of Saul die in the battle. And there's another son whose name is Ishbosheth. You love these Old Testament names, right? Ishbosheth decides, hey, I have a claim to the throne. I should be king, even though God has already anointed David as king. So David becomes king of Judah. 
and then they anoint Ishbosheth, or they, they claim him as king of the rest of Israel. So you can see how this huge, like how this could be a movie, right? So you got Ishbosheth and David at odds with each other, fighting with each other, and trying to figure out who is going to be the king. Of course, David has anointed, I mean, God has anointed David. David becomes king. Ishbosheth is killed. And so David becomes the king of all of Israel. So you've got Saul dead, you've got Jonathan dead, you've got all of other Saul's sons dead, you've got all of Saul's family has been, has been deceased, has lost the battle, but you've got this one guy. His name is Mephibosheth. So let's look at 2 Samuel 4, 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. They're explaining Ishbosheth, and they're explaining how he was how he was murdered, and the whole story of you know the end of Saul's progeny and the end of Saul's familial line. And they happen to throw in this one verse, which seems odd at first, but it's not at all. This is what happens in 2 Samuel 4 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was David's best friend, Jonathan was David's best friend, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The news was that they had perished in battle. And his nurse took him, upon, took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So there he is, Jonathan's son, the best friend of David, who had perished in battle, his son Mephibosheth, was, was dropped as they were fleeing after his dad died, became lame. And we really don't hear anything about him again for multiple chapters in the, verse, in the book of 2 Samuel. And why is, this, why is this important? Like, why are they sharing this? The reason they share this is because this is what happens with orphaned children, especially in this day and age, orphaned children who were lame and couldn't even walk. What happens with orphan children is they seem to be cast aside. They seem to, to fall through the cracks. They seem to be forgotten. And so Mephibosheth, we'll find out as we get further along in the story, that happens to him. He gets cast aside. He gets forgotten. He, he pretty much falls through the cracks and everyone forgets about him. And so that's why God calls the church to come into orphan care and, and foster care and adopt and caring for these disadvantaged children and, and these, these vulnerable kids because if it's not for the church to do it, a lot of times they fall through the cracks. A lot of times they get forgotten. A lot of times they become some statistic that's not a good statistic. And so here's the reality, you know? We have the foster care system in the United States, which is wonderful, which is great, which is our answer to ensuring that these kids don't fall through the cracks like Ms. Shiba that Feth fall through the crack. But as I shared before, we're short on foster families. We need more foster families and there's nowhere better to find that than in the church. That's the United States. You know, we adopted from China. Our, our youngest, Molly Kate, is adopted from China. And China still uses the orphanage system, which we used to use in America. All of y'all have seen the movie Annie, right? Orphanage. Yeah, so that's, that's what China still uses. And they have some wonderful, great nurses and caretakers for these kids. Um, but the reality is you may have a floor of 20 babies and maybe two workers, you can't care for 20 babies with two workers, right? So it can be overflooded, and so they are missing out on the care. 
And one of my greatest, well, it's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard is a story of a professor that I had in seminary, Dr. Russell Moore. He, he adopted two kids from Russia. And he tells the story of going to Russia for the first time and walking into the orphanage. And he said, the one thing I remember from going to Russia, we did, they say, we did the sightseeing, we did, we saw everything, we, you know, experienced the culture, all of this. He said, the one thing I remember more than anything else from the trip was when I walked into the orphanage and all I heard was silence. And then we got you thinking, why, why was that so significant? And he said, there were, 20, 30, 40 more babies, toddlers in this orphanage. And he said, you know what happens when a toddler or a baby needs something? They cry, right? An adult comes and, and, and takes care of that need. And the baby or the toddler realizes if I cry, I get my need met. And so when I need something, I cry. It's the crying is the signifying an adult is caring for me and loving me and taking care of my needs. And what Dr. Moore said was in Russia, the opposite happens. The kids have a need. The kids cry because of that need, but no one ever comes to meet that need. And so they realize crying doesn't do anything. And so they stop crying. And he said, that was the realization that something was incredibly wrong with this orphanage, that there were multitudes of babies and toddlers who were not getting their needs met. Even though they had workers there who were trying their best and giving their all, there weren't enough of them. And these kids were realizing there, are no, there is no adult coming to meet my need. There is no adult coming to love on me, to care for me and to console me. And so they just stopped crying altogether. And so in America, we have the foster system, which is a much, I think, better system that we have adults and families pouring into these lives of these kids. But it's much, much worse in other countries. I don't even want to talk about countries like India, where most of these kids get sold into slavery. Let's be real. That's what happens with probably the majority of these 153 million orphans. And so you can see that there is a problem where the orphans, they fall through the cracks, they get forgotten about, they get taken advantage of, misused and abused. And so that was what was the, the, the fate of Mephibosheth, most likely. That was what was going to happen to him. He was going to be left to fend for himself and figure it out, except for this man named David. We know a lot about David, right? King David, we know he had some mistakes in his life. We know he messed up. He did some horrible things, including murder, right? But in scripture, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I think this gives you a glimpse of why scripture can still say that, even though David made some really big mistakes. This is what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 9 through 13. So verse one, and David said, chapter nine, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now he says this because back in first Samuel, before Jonathan perishes on the battlefield, their best friends, they help each other. They make a covenant to each other. They make an agreement and they say to each other in first Samuel 24, they say, swear to me, Therefore, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this. 
And so David had sworn to, to Jonathan to, to take care or to not cut off, which he had the right to do as the new king who had conquered the, the, the generations that to come of Saul and Jonathan. And he said, I won't cut them off. That was his only agreement. I won't cut them off. I won't destroy them. I will let them live. But because of his love for Jonathan, because of his commitment, he decides to take it many steps further. And this is what he does. Is there anyone that I may show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Verse two. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And that king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So Zeba remembered Mephibosheth. There is this one guy, he probably, I don't know this for sure, but he was like, I haven't seen him in years. I don't know where he is. He got taken off somewhere. I've heard rumors he's around somewhere. There is this one guy named Mephibosheth who is the son of Jonathan. And so move down to verse nine. And the king called Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all of his house, I have given to your master's grandson who is Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table, the king's table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So Ziba says to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servants do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. You notice they keep bringing that up. Like, like this is unheard of that someone would take a lame orphan and bring him to the king's table and let him sit at the king's table. And it wasn't just a lame orphan. It was the lame orphan grandson of David's enemy that he comes and takes and brings to the king's table and adopts him as if it was one of his own sons. And what is the reason for that? Why would David do that? Well, he doesn't do it just for Jonathan's sake. That's what we read first. But did you notice he also says in verse three, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? He also does it for the Lord's sake. He also does it as an expression of God's love to the house of Saul, to his enemy. And I see that I'm like, that's the gospel. If anything is the gospel showing love, grace, and forgiveness to the enemy and welcoming, adopting him into the family of David. That's what God did for each and every one of us. Scripture is clear. We were enemies of God in our sinful nature. We were far away from him. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, dying for us, God now comes and welcomes us, his once enemy, now to his table as sons and daughters of God. 
And so David is showing a picture of the gospel, of the love of Jesus for us in his adopting this orphaned, disadvantaged, vulnerable, forgotten son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth. And God calls us as a church to do the same. God calls us in our relationships with family, with friends, with kids, with people we don't know, with everyone to model the gospel. And one of the best models of the gospel is adoption, is fostering, is welcoming kids in that are disadvantaged into your family to show them love and show them Jesus. And so that's why, why God calls the church and expects the church to be a part of this. That's why God, when, when we read these numbers, 153 million orphans in the world, 400,000 in the state of uh, United States, 4,000 in the state of South Carolina, God's not saying, hey, let's let the government take care of them. Let's let them create some programs. God is saying to us, no, church, you have an active role to play in caring for each and every one of these kids. And so what I want to ask at the end of, for, for today is, is what can we do? Or maybe ask the question, what can, what can I do? What can my family do? Not everyone is called to, to fostering. You know, not everyone is called to adopting. But every church is called to take part in that ministry. And we do have a ministry here called the Joy Ministry where we, where we, where we um, partner with families who are fostering. We care for different people. We have meals for them. We have a, there's a foster closet at Chapin Baptist that we send a lot of stuff to. Um, we do some, like, some nights where we take care of their kids. So we have ministry here to these families and, and you can be a part of that, every single one of you, if you'd like to. But there's two different types of orphans I feel like we should talk about this morning as we close out. One of them is, is the physically orphaned. And this is those, those orphans that those numbers represent, the 153 million, the 400,000, the, the 4,000, that there's physically orphaned kids who, who don't have moms and dads, or they have moms and dads who have completely neglected them to the point that they're no longer safe in their care. And so someone else has to take care of them. They deserve the love and the care of an adult. They need the care and love of an adult. They're not getting that from their moms or their dads. And so someone's got to take part and come in and step in. But there's also the, the spiritually orphaned. Think about this for a moment. This number, I'm sure, is much, much bigger. The spiritually orphaned. So the spiritually orphaned are those kids who don't have a spiritual leader in their home. The kids who don't have a mom or dad who shares the love of Jesus or models the love of Jesus or shows them the grace and the forgiveness of God on a daily basis. These spiritual orphans show up at churches all across the United States every single week. We have spiritual orphans right now over here, I'm sure, in Gateway at Gateway in our kids program or in our students program. There's, there's spiritual orphans all over who, who, who don't have parents who know Jesus maybe or aren't Christians or do know Jesus about him. They come every once in a while to church, but they don't lead their kids into the love of God. And so the physical orphan needs us and the spiritual orphan needs us. And so I wanna ask the question, what can we do? What can I do? What can you do? I wanna leave you here with with four things, four simple words, four simple possibilities. And the first one is pray. Of course, pray for the disadvantaged and the vulnerable children of our world. If you have a prayer list that you pray through every day, that you keep track of, I want to challenge you, add 
the vulnerable, the disadvantaged child to your list and pray for them. Pray for the big numbers. Pray for the small numbers. Pray for the 153 million in the world, but pray for the 4,000 that are in the state and pray for the hundred or so that are in Lexington and Richland counties and just in our area. Because what happens when you pray for them, God awakens your heart to them. God opens your eyes to it and God calls you into new things to take care. Sometimes it just starts with prayer. Pray for them. The next thing, support. As I said, everyone isn't called to foster. Everyone isn't called to adopt, but support those that are caring for these children in some way. As I said, we do have a ministry here, Joy Ministry, that we started last year that, that we um, are wanting to use to support fostering and adoptive families because we believe that God has a special heart for the orphans. And because we believe these people who are doing this are doing God's work, that we want to care for them. So be a part of that if you'd like to. If you know a family who is fostering or you know a family who is adopted or you know a family who is in some way stepping into the lives of these disadvantaged children, ask them, what can I do to support you? What can I do to help you and find a way to do that? Next one, care. Care for these children in some way. Care for these children. Maybe God's calling you to care for them. Maybe he's calling you to foster. Maybe he's calling you to adopt. Maybe this is your first thought. Perhaps this is for me. I would love to talk to you. We have multiple, multiple families in our church who would love to talk to you about that. You can get in touch with me and I can connect you with a family. I can talk with you about it. Um, We'd love to talk to you, but maybe it's not fostering, adopting, but maybe it's, I want to get into the school system and help these kids in the school. Maybe it's, I want to um, volunteer at the foster closet where they, where they you know, provide things for foster families. I know there's disadvantaged, vulnerable kids at all of the feeding places throughout our community. I want to get involved. How can you get involved in the ministry of this in our community? And then the last one is just simply welcome. Welcome all children, just as Jesus did. Into your family, into your community, into your schools, into your church. We have these children all over. With 4,000 in our state, with hundreds just in our area, we have children who are orphaned. We have children who are spiritually orphaned. We have children who are physically orphaned. We have children who simply need an adult. Let's talk about the emotionally orphaned. who don't have parents who show love at all. We need adults. They need adults who will just step into their lives and love them and care for them, and show the love of Jesus. And so welcome children into your life. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult, a parent, a grandparent, uh, be in the business of showing children the same love Jesus did in the New Testament when he said, let the children come to me. Because we never know the situation in the home of these children, that maybe it's serving in Gateway Kids over here, or or maybe it's serving in the Gateway students. Maybe it's stepping in and and showing love and and care for them there. Maybe it's in a school. Maybe it's just in your work or your daily life. You think, I know of these kids that I come in contact with, and I know that I can be the light of Jesus to them in some way. Whatever it is, ask God, how can I welcome these children into my family, into my life, and show them the love of God? So those are the four things I thought of. Pray, support, care, and welcome. And I'm gonna add another one. I think another one that I just thought of is be aware. Be aware. Like 
it's easy to pretend like it's a situation in India or in China or in another country, but the reality is it's right here and it's all over and there's children everywhere that need the love of Jesus shown through adults who love Jesus. So the question I wanna leave you with simply is what can you do? What can I do? What can we do? And I can't answer that for anyone other than myself. You know, Lauren and I, we, we adopted and then we felt the call to fostering. And so we're doing that as well, but not to say, look at us, but it's just something that God, I mean, honestly placed on Lauren's heart more than mine. And Lauren said, this is what we're gonna do. That's, you know, when your wife says that, you're like, okay, yeah. But um, so what, what can you do? What can we do? How can we care for these children that have a special place in the heart of God? Will you pray with me?